0: Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. The message is entitled, The Grace of God's Discipline. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that you might use your servant to teach your word, that the flock might be fed, that our hearts might be challenged, each and every one of us, that we might be equipped for the journey, Lord, for the trials that some may be even going through today. Lord, I pray that those that are here that do not have you as their shepherd, they don't know you as their savior. Lord, that today they would see the protection that's offered in a father that loves, a father that gave his only begotten son to take our place for our sin. And Lord, that you would draw them to yourself today and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Discipline. Now you may think that uh, that's a negative subject, discipline. So we'll put it a little different, talk about it in the idea of discipleship. The word paideia is the word that we get pediatrician from, a children's doctor. So it has to do with the whole training and education of children, Kenneth Weiss says. It speaks also of whatever in adults cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing the passions. It speaks of instruction which aims at at the increase of virtue. The word does not have in it the idea of punishment, but of corrective measures which will eliminate evil in the life and encourage the good discipline and training that's needed to be a mature adult. Now we're not talking about discipleship programs or catechism programs in the church, we're talking about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life if you know Him as your personal Savior. It's what's going on. It's what's happening. You came to Christ and God began to work in your heart. He changed all of your want-tos. I remember a young lady coming to me years ago and she'd been in our church for a year or so and then she came to Christ. There was a Billy Graham crusade over in uh, Cheyenne, and she went there, and she received Christ. She came back a month later. She says, you know, Paul, I was just thinking, you've really been studying this last month. <laughs> or you have the Holy Spirit now. Oh, yeah, that's right. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You come to the Word of God. It's just words. People say all the time, oh, I've read through the Bible. I didn't find anything there. Well, of course. It's written to somebody else. You don't have the Lord He's not writing it to you, of course. But if you have the Lord, he is at work in your life. He loves you. In John 1, 16, it says, For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. Now, grace is the power and the desire to do the will of God. We don't often think of discipline as a grace, but it is. It's God's blessing in our life. So he didn't just save us, And leave us to figure it out by ourselves. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, that it is his spirit, it is God at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You got saved, he changed your want to. Now you desire, if you look at the book of 1 John, 1 John was a book, epistle that was written about the marks of a believer. Not the things you do in order to be saved, but things that are growing in your life if you know Christ. If you had it changed, There's gonna be a desire to share Christ with other people. You may not be good at it yet. You may have fears about that, but you desire to see your friends come to know Jesus. There's a desire for fellowship among believers. You run into a believer says, I don't need I don't need Christians. They're either not saved or they're so far in sin, they they just don't the idea of fellowship just rubs in the wrong way. I know there's some probably some bad churches, and and you can be hurt by the Christians. But the Bible teaches we need one another. We need that encouragement we get from one another. I I tell you, I look forward every week to be in the small groups I'm in because I hear what's going on in my brothers' lives and what they're praying for and how God has answered prayer. And that encourages me in my own walk. We need one another. We need the confrontation, the accountability of another brother or sister walking alongside and say, How's that coming? I'm praying for you this week. We need that in our lives. The Bible says there's going to be a growing love for Christ and a lessening love for the world and to care about what the world thinks. Because the instruction is love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. So when a believer is overtaken by anything, whether it's video games or 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 sports or something. You just can't live without that other thing. You say, okay, now there's a problem here, right? There's a problem. Things are out of balance. Because I shouldn't have a love for the things in the world. My love should be for Christ. But that's God at work in our life. That's God. And it's for every single believer. To what end? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 says, till we all come To the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Not some great pastor someplace else that you listen to on the radio. You. Every single believer is called to be like Christ. And he's working our lives. He knows for the purposes he saved you. He gifted you for those purposes. He knows what's coming in your path. He wants you to prepare them for that you might be a reflection of his glory. That that he might give you reward in heaven, that you might have something to cast back at the feet of Jesus and worship to him. He desires faithfulness in your life. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so, just because you're born again doesn't mean you're mature. That doesn't happen automatically. It happens as we're singing about, through many dangers, trials, and snares, I have already come. God's laid the foundation, but then you get an opportunity to follow him. Philippians 3:10 Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So that he says I might know the power of the resurrection, what is that? Power over sin. Paul desired to be so much like Christ that whenever sin came, he would overcome it. But he kept saying as he writes his epistles, I'm not there yet, but I keep stretching out, reaching forward to that which God has called me to, to be like Christ. And that's why God is working our life. And again, this isn't about a discipleship program in the church. This is what God is doing in your life if you belong to him. The first verse we're looking at today, verse 4, shows the need for training, the need for discipline. They're already thinking about quitting, and yet he says here, You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. You need training. We need training. We need discipline. We need to be strengthened. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he says, Timothy, in, endure hardness with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you fellas went through training in the military, but I remember those days, forever I'll remember those days, and the long bus ride from Shreveport out to Fort Polk, Louisiana. We got there about two o'clock in the morning, and I just, and these guys kept goofing off on the bus, and I'm th- sitting there going, what is that? you guys shut up. I heard about drill sergeants. I didn't want any more problems than I had to have with a drill sergeant, and we got there, and the amazing thing is, and I learned later, drill sergeants like to sleep occasionally also. They took us to a old barracks, and I said, there's a bed, find it and sleep. And I thought, this is a trick. This is a trick. No, they just wanted to rest, because then later they are going to retrain us how to make beds, brush our teeth, go to the bathroom, take a shower. They trained us in everything. At the beginning, I had eight weeks on one part of Fort Polk, and eight weeks on the other uh, other part of Fort Polk, and the first part was basic training, the second part was infantry training. And I remember both places, we'd sing a chant. Start out, and you'd say eight more weeks, and we'll be through. I'll be glad, and so will you. And the guys that had two weeks left, they'd be marching by. They'd snicker, (laughs) newbies. I'll tell you what, those four months made a huge difference in my life. How come? Because they were equipping me. While we were in... There was the pull out of Vietnam. So, a lot of us going to Levin B that thought we were heading there realized, okay, we're not going there anymore. They were equipping us for a battle. You may be in a trial right now. Wallace is always ministering to us, Wallace Francis, when he's here, and you're either in a trial or you just came out of one or you're just heading into one. That's the Christian life. God is always at work equipping us that one day he might reward us that we might be a part of what he's doing in building his kingdom. He wants us to have a part of that. And the, the more we are faithful, the more we're gonna enjoy that celebration in heaven. He wants that for us. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. You're not there yet, but you need training. Peter, when, before he started his apostleship, before the Holy Spirit came down, He'd failed the Lord miserably, hadn't he? Because he was the spokesman. He denied the Lord three times, but the rest of them denied the Lord too. They just ran. They weren't there. At least he was there and sitting around the coals of fire making the fish. He calls the disciples in from fishing and they sit there and he says, Peter, do you love me? He gives them three opportunities Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And the third time, he was grieved. He said, one day, Peter, you don't know this yet, but, but you're going to be in for some training. The Holy Spirit's going to come into Peter, and he's going to start growing. He's going to be equipped. A lot of the things the Lord had taught them before didn't make any sense yet. They're going to have the Holy Spirit. He said, Peter, one day, he basically tells him, you're going to be crucified like me. Now, Peter can't handle it yet because he still needs training. He says, Is it w- me, what about John, right? What about John? the Lord says to Peter, Peter, if he lives until the second coming, that's not your business. You follow me. We all think we'd like to know what's coming. If we could just know, then we'd be prepared. No, you wouldn't. We'd faint. We'd quit. God knows exactly what's coming. He knows how to prepare us for that. But just like the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, there was one quick way over to the promised land. And the Lord told Moses, we're not going that way. Because these people need to be trained for war. We're going to take the long way. They have need for training. Every one of us have need for training in our life. Verse 5. We have the privilege of discipleship. Verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. The privilege of being a son of God. 1 John 3, John writes, and he said, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Not when we die and go to heaven, now we belong to God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. Everyone that has this hope in him Gets involved in the training too. Purifies himself even as Christ is pure. You want to be involved in training. You want to be everything that God wants you to be. God put that in there. Now there's two mistakes that we make sometimes in disciplining. That's getting hardened and regarding lightly the chastening of the Lord. You get angry. You go through a test and you pfft. Well, that's the way it is, right? You get hard. See, what we ought to do is God gave us our emotions as an alarm. You shouldn't be driven by your emotions, but you know, all of a sudden, you recognize that's just kind of the alarm system. You could recognize, hey, I think there's a test going on. This must be training. They didn't always tell us in the army when we we're going to have training exercise, sometimes just sprang it on us. I told you about that a couple weeks ago, the worst march I've ever been on. They woke us up, made us fall out there in the middle of the night, and we walked forever in Fort Polk, Louisiana, in the jungle, tripping over roots. And we kept saying, how long are we going? Shut up and march. You didn't tell us. We just had to get through it. Just have to do the training. But we can regard it lightly and say, Phew, well, if that's the way it is. Forget it. Now, I tell folks I never got a spanking I didn't deserve. I had a good dad, he loved me, and he loved me often, right? The old spiritual says, those old spiritual mom said, "I raised my kids and I raised them often. But never once did I ever tell my dad. that didn't hurt? Because he would have said, "All right, son. Let's start over. Even if I thought I could handle it, you know, I didn't let him know. He gave me all I could handle and that was enough. You know when my dad did that? Because he loved me. He wanted there to come a time in my life when I knew how to govern myself and say no to myself. The Bible says, if you hate your son, don't discipline him. See, if you love your children, you discipline them You teach them right from wrong, and then you'll want to be around them when they get older. You don't discipline them. You won't want to be there, and they won't want to be around you. Be unruly, rebellious. Well, God doesn't ever give up on his children. And so if you get a little hardened, and you say, what's that? That's nothing. Then God knows how to get a bigger stick, doesn't he? I tell young wives often, listen, just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Duck. Don't take a blow for him. God knows how to bring a bigger stick. You just submit. Get out of the way. God will get his attention because he loves both of you. Sometimes as we're looking at guys, as God's growing them, you say, man, God just used a a, two-by-four on it. Do you need a bigger stick? What is wrong with you? Listen. But then there's the other side that we can make, and that's somebody just faints. They just give up. As soon as they come into a trial, they just quit. So you get, some say, like, that's nothing, and they, they regard lightly the chastening of the Lord. Now, I'm gonna listen to that. Or they just faint, but I wanna tell you something. This is God He's a perfect father. He knows exactly what you need. He's not going to quit. So if you get frustrated because you're going through the same trial over and over again, maybe it's because you're not learning the right way through the trial. So figure it out. So next time the trial comes, it won't be a problem. You see, when you have a young man that's been lifting weights a long time, and he's pressing, you know, 300 pounds of the bench press. And the coach comes in and says, Listen, uh, uh, Joe, would you give me... a uh, 20 reps of 135, he said, come on, coach. He says, yeah, easy, no problem, right? Because he's, he's been developed past that little trial of 145 pounds, that's not a big deal. And so it's not that trials go away, you're still gonna have those same trials, they just won't be a problem anymore because you have been exercised, you're strong, and you can handle them. But God's not gonna quit on you. If you belong to him, he's going to keep leading you. He's going to give you those opportunities for trials because he wants you to be a mature soldier. Weapons for the right hand, weapons for the left, prepared for every good work he might call you to. He's a good father. He doesn't quit. Verse 7. The goal of discipleship says there, it is for discipline that you endure. What does that mean? It is for discipline that you endure? You see, every believer, you have the DNA of Jesus Christ in you. And you desire to be like Christ. You know, even though the trials are not fun, you know, you know what? This is going to make me be like the Lord, so that's what I want. You talk to a Marine. Marines are Marines for life, aren't they? Why? Why is that? Because of the marine training they went through. They went through that together. And they wanted to become a marine. And so they endured the discipline so they could put that uniform on. Whether you talk to people that go to special forces or they go in the SEALs, it's for discipline that they endured. They wanted what that training would produce in their lives and so they endured They might be everything that that training would produce in them. So they'd be ready when they hit the battlefield. Now, Coach Detai used to tell us, I don't know what practicing at Guernsey in 170 degree weather has to do with winning a state championship at 20 below zero, but we're going to do this. Well, we knew what it was. It was just learning to endure, just learning to take another step, learning To not quit. You don't quit. It is for endurance that we endure. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now there are some sons that dad's checked out on. Dad's around, but he's not really there for them. You know what? Those sons struggle their whole life. And they might say they hate their dad, but the reason they hate their dad is because they love their dad so much and they wish their dad would have more to do with them. Do you have a dad that loves you? Like the Apostle Paul said, he loved those people that had come to Christ as ministry, and he said he poured his life into them. It's not just teaching them right and wrong, it's sharing with them, it's taking that time in children's lives to pour in who you are and the experiences and especially your walk with the Lord. That's not just for the pastor to share with your kids. That's your primary responsibility. What son is there who has a father that his father doesn't desire that son to grow up and be more than he was? And so you pour your life into them. The goal of discipleship is a disciplined mature son and if you love the Lord God has put that desire in you that you would become all that God intended for you to be that's what you desire if you don't have that desire I give you permission to make sure you're saved or not if, if your life isn't about pleasing the Lord I know you do other things but in those things whether you eat therefore or drink or whatever you do Paul, Paul wrote you do all to glorify God So there's a business deal, and you're involved in it, all of a sudden, if you keep your word, you're going to lose money. What do you do? You keep your word anyway. Why? Because you trust that your father, even in this test, wants you to be like him. And you know your father's rich, so even if you lose a little bit here, he's still got plenty. You don't have to worry about it. Verse 8 talks about the lack of discipline. But if you're without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now I'll tell you something. As a child of God, some of your closest experiences will be when you go through your deepest trials. Because as a child, you have nowhere else to go. You just look up. In those deep trials, you say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of answers. I can't handle this. I had sweet fellowship with a young couple this last week that is going through a really, really hard trial. But you know what I found? The Lord. The young man said, when all of a sudden we realized we're this trial, all I could think of is I think we should pray. Who was that? That was God. That was God working in him to buoy him up through the trial, to surround that couple with grace so that Satan didn't destroy them in the trial. But if you've gone through life and you don't have discipline, you feel like, you know, because I'll tell you what, if you're a believer, you can't get away with anything, can you? From the time you came to Christ, you, I, you say, well, they get, that's what the psalmist was saying, Psalm 73. He's like, hey, look at the wicked. Look at everything they get away with. They go down to their grave, nobody has anything bad to them. They get so fat, their eyes bug out. And yet, you know, it seems like, you know, they just get away with everything. He says, Then I went into the house of God and understood that God set their feet in slippery places. They go suddenly down to hell. But me, I don't get away with anything. Do you? Because the Holy Spirit's alive in your life. And He started with maybe some of those big things you thought were big sins, and He got down to those little things attitudes, thoughts. Because now you have the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that. He is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart, the little tiny things. How come? Because he's working from the inside out. In your marriage relationship, you wake up on the wrong side of bed one day and you just got that attitude. That's not her fault, is it? That's not his fault. And if you're a believer, you know. You don't need marriage counseling for that. You know you got sin in your life. And you go to the Lord. Why? Because he's the counselor. He's the counselor. You can go to the Lord when you don't even know what's wrong and say, Lord, like the psalmist did, search me, try me. Is there some wicked way I'm not understanding, some blind side that I'm not dealing with in my life? What's going on? Because he's your counselor. He's your shepherd. But if you lack discipline, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have this fellow that was involved in deep moral sin in the church, living with his father's Wife, not his mother, but his dad had married somebody else. Just deep, immoral sin. But that church is like, oh, well, you know, I guess we can handle it. Paul said, no, we can't handle that kind of sin. Now, there's not a lot of churches that love their congregation enough to deal with church discipline. We do love you that much. And the Bible says the point of discipline is restoration, right? So the Bible says, first, what do you do when you see your brothers, sisters, in sin? Now, if if you noticed your brother or sister had something growing on them and you say, I think that could be deadly, you wouldn't mind saying, hey, I think you should see the doctor. You need to check that out. That thing could kill you, right? But if it's sin, we tend to go, oh, well, (laughs) I don't want to judge. You don't have to judge. You can ask questions. You can say, listen, what's going on? I love you. We want to see you get restored. This thing will kill you. This will destroy your family. If they won't listen to you, what do you do? You bring two others, one or two others, and you say, hey, listen, we just want to love on you, and we just want, listen, this, is this going on? What's, what's the deal? They won't listen to you, what do you do? Go tell the church. Have the whole church pray for them. And if they won't listen to the church, what do you do? You put them out of fellowship. You say, well, that seems kind of harsh. No, no, that's carrying. That's carrying. But see, you're not going to find out, you're not determining whether are a Christian or not. That's not your job. You don't know what's going on in the heart. They may not be a Christian. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he gives some instruction about this. And he says, verse 5, I've decided to deliver this one to to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I wish the Lord took care of all discipline, don't you? That would be nice. Oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. And then the Lord takes care of it. No, God gave instruction to each one of us to love one another enough to, if it's First Thessalonians 5, 8, you know, 520 kind of discipline where you just say, hey, hey, get back in line. What are you doing? You do that. I know you do that. You're telling people if they get a bad attitude, they come from churches where they're used to throwing their elbows, hey, cut, stop throwing those elbows. We don't act like that around here. We love one another, right? There's that kind of discipline. And there's other kind of discipline where we have to come alongside. And we have to say, hey, this, this is going to kill you. You've got to stop. But I believe in 2 Corinthians, they, they, they actually listen to Paul. They put that guy out of fellowship. 2 Corinthians, Paul's saying, hey, listen, take him back in. He's repented now. Restore him. But their job was never to find out, or it jo- wasn't their d- job to determine where they're saved. You're going to find out that in time. What's he saying? If a person belongs to the Lord and you deliver him over to God and he belongs to God, God will deal with him. But if they can go on their merry way and live in sin and just no problem, they never belong to God. Because the Bible says if if you belong to God, he disciplines you. That's not something the church does. He's in your life. He's leading you and he disciplines you. Verses nine and 10. And here's the trust that we have. We have a perfect father who brings perfect discipleship. Verse 9 says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and respect and we respected them. Now, discipline, when it comes to our talking about our dads, is a lot funner when it's in the rearview mirror, isn't it? You know. You know. Talk about, oh I'll tell you what, that one spanking I got, whoo, that was something, right? But we respect our dads because they, you had a loving father, we respected them because they, they taught you how to have self-worth. A child that's not disciplined has no worth in himself either. And we respect him. Were they perfect? No. Even if a dad, I've not been perfect. And there's been more than once I've had to go and get down in front of my sons and say, dad was wrong about this. I got after you and that was my sin. Will you forgive me? Because we're not perfect. But we respected them. But our Father in heaven is the one that's given us life. And he wants us to have a life for eternity that we could be so thankful that we served him. Every opportunity we had. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? See, that was the whole part about being saved. That we might learn the obedience of faith. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Now, you can look back at the way that your folks raised you and say, well, I think I'd have done that like this. And that's okay. So you do a better job with your kids. You know, I've I've said before, I'm not sure it's truth or not, that um, um, my my boys are better dads, but I had better kids. No, they have the responsibility. I know I've told you that before. The cat told me one time, all right, now, if Harrison, I was going to be watching Harrison. If he's wrong, you spank him. I said, oh, no, not my job. That's your job. My job is to spoil him. I'm the grandpa. I'm the papa. No. And I told those grandkids every chance I get, you need to understand something. There is no man in this world that's ever going to be better than you than this papa is, not even your dad. But if it was just me, they'd be terrible kids. They got to have their dads too, don't they? Their dads say, no, no, that's enough, son. We're going home now, right? Enough of dads, but grandpa's spoiling you. But our father brings perfect discipline into our life. How often like this young couple I was meeting with this week, I think, Lord, that seems like a really hard, hard test for a young couple like this. Years ago, I remember a young man coming in, and he had a decision to make. And his decision was, well, if I go take this other job, there'll be a lot of money there. and um, But there won't be any time for church. And if I stay here, I don't have a job, but I'm going to get discipled. And I thought at the time, wow. Lord, that's that's a tough one. And he made the right choice, and God blessed him for it. See, we don't determine. We are not the testers. But just like you can trust God in your life and your response as soon as you realize you're in a trial, that, okay, this is a trial, then you just look up and you pray. That's your first response. That's the response of a mature believer. Lord, give me wisdom. In James 5, or James chapter 1, James Wright says, if any man lack wisdom, when you realize you're in a your trial, I say, well, I don't know what to do. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I remember going through that really hard trial that Christian and I went through. We were very young. I think I was probably 34 or 35. And God took our youngest son home to be with him. Sid, just gone. Life, health, gone. And the first, the first thought he brought to my mind was 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. See, I've been taught to feel thankful is an emotion. To give thanks is an act of the will. So what am I thankful for? I don't know. I just know what the Bible says. And you know what happens when you listen to the Lord as he gives you biblical direction? Then he gives you another step. And that's how he leads you through the valley, the shadow of death. That's how he builds you up by the word of God. And that's why memorizing scripture, you say, how, do, how can I have a straight path through a trial like that? David wrote in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, and he answered that question. How can a young man make a straight path? By taking heed according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So when you're in a trial, you're in a test, or you find you have a weakness about something... You go to your brother or sister in Christ, and say, I am struggling with this. And that brother and sister in Christ, if they don't know the answer, they go to get the answer from the word of God. And you say, you know what? I'm going to memorize that. Maybe you're a fearful person about death. What does the Bible say about that? Paul wrote to people that were worried about dying and said, I want you to have some courage about something, to be asked of the body, to be present with the Lord. And get that in your heart, memorize it. Get God's word into your heart. You say, well, I can't memorize. I guarantee there's some things that you've memorized that you haven't even thought about. The difference is are important, whether it's football scores or baseball statistics or engines or, you know, hot cars. There's some things that you're focused on. And if you get as passionate about being a disciplined son to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you say, i got to get this in my heart. God, stir up that appetite. Give me the ability. I need this. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give to all men liberally and abradeth not. We have a perfect Father. He loves us. And there's no trial taken us, but such as is common to man. And here's here's the good part. That's not encouraging that somebody else has been through there. Sometimes you think you're the only one, and God just saying, no, no, other people have been there before. But that's not the encouraging part. The encouraging part is God is faithful, and he's going to make a way through the trial. Not out of it. He's not going to yank you out through the trial. If you quit, like Christian did when he was in Pilgrim's Progress, and they start up the hill of difficulty, and they look to the side, and they see, you know, path Meadow, and they say, eh, you know, I think it's going the same direction. What did evangelists say? pastor said, no, you stay on the straight and narrow. Oh, no, I think, I think we just step over here to buy a path meadow. Oh, it's so much nicer over here. And where'd they end up? In the giant's castle, in the dungeon of despair. And then God delivered them. Where did he bring them back to? Exactly where they left the path, right? There's no detours around maturity, It's through the decisions. And God knows exactly how he's gifted you, what he's preparing you for. You may be going through a really hard test. And sometimes, many times as a pastor, I'm just saying, listen, I don't understand this either. But God knows what he's bringing your path, and someday you'll be sitting with somebody else, and they're gonna say, well, you wouldn't know what it's like, and they'll say, you'll say, oh, no. Let me tell you the story of how God led me through the same kind of trial. And here's the words that gave me the strength To be faithful. And lastly, verse 11, there's the reality of discipline. The reality of discipleship. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, they took the Greek word diakonos and they put it in the English language, And they came up with this word, right-wiseness, righteousness. And it's just wisdom. The ability to make the right decision. What is it? That's a skill for living, isn't it? When you've been down the path long enough with the Lord, you just know what you're supposed to do. God is trying to make you holy, conform you to his image so that you know what the answer is when you're confronted like Jesus was. And you're so filled up with his words and the word of God that that's just you respond, you get bumped and and scripture sloshes out. That's the goal, but it's not easy. It's the reality of discipleship. That's why Paul said to Timothy in Second Timothy two three, Timothy suffer hardship with me as a good soldier, no active soldier. In service, entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. It's so important when you're going through that trial to say, okay, hold it. This is a trial. This is a trial. Lord, what's the next step? What do you want me to do? 1 Corinthians nine twenty four, Paul wrote, do you know that those who run a race... All run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Understand that God didn't save you to have your best life now. This is training time. There's going to be trials. And about the time you get frustrated with, you know, I don't need this trial again, Lord, just say, okay, Lord, I'm available and to realize that second corinthians 4:17 says for momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison now we can't know what that is yet but our sufferings just momentary it's just for a little bit you may be in a difficult marriage take the eternal view Get out of the way, focus on what you're supposed to do because you can't change anybody's heart no matter how much you love them. You cannot change their heart. If it's that kind of a marriage and and God's gonna leave one of them out, the Bible says you're called to peace. The other person won't listen to the Lord, they're gonna go, you're not gonna get any uh, blessings because you held it together by your own power. God's gonna have to hold it together. You're gonna have to trust the Lord. But you do what you're supposed to do As a spouse, you be faithful. You have a difficult job? Be faithful. God will lead you. If it's time to leave, he'll tell you when, he'll open the door for that. Be faithful today. Learn what you're supposed to learn today so you might be equipped because we don't know what's coming, but God does. He saved you on purpose for a purpose. He gifted you for that purpose. Now he's training you that you might fulfill that purpose, that one day you might hear from him, well done, faithful servant. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so thankful that we're not on our own. We don't have to figure it out, that you're alive in our life. You give us appetite for the word. You give us a desire to worship you and to please you. That's from you. And you sustain us even in the deepest trials. So when we get on the other side, we look back and what we remember is your grace and your goodness and your power. Lord, there may be some going through hard trials right now. Lord, I pray that you'd lift their head. That you'd be a shield about them. And their glory. That even if they don't know which way to go, Lord, they can just stand Lord, that they they can take courage and wait on you. And Lord, stir up our appetite for the word of God because it's in those dark trials, those deepest trials, that your word is so good. And we find the strength because it's not just words, Lord. It's your words, the words of God. And Lord, if there are somebody here today, there's somebody here that does not know you. They don't have a shepherd They're going through the trials of life all by themselves. Oh, Lord, I pray that you draw them to yourself. They'd run to you and find that you're waiting. You're available to be their Savior, to be their Shepherd. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.